Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. Ken also has owned his own construction company for over 30 years. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. And you can talk to Ken at any time by dialing 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email questions to Ken, and that website is kenthecontractor.com. So you're about to start your own home improvement project. Congratulations. Have you asked yourself these questions? Do I need a permit for this? Now, we're not just talking about putting additions on. I'm going to go through some items in just a moment that will cause you to rethink this. If I'm hiring a pro, that's one thing. Surely they need a permit, but what if I'm doing it myself? Because we know that all of us love doing things when we have time around the house ourselves. And if I am hiring a pro, does the contractor handle the permit, or do I have to handle the permit? You know, I want to talk a few moments about some things that get us in trouble when we start out on a weekend or we take a week's vacation and we're going to do Anything around our home from installing a fence to building a retaining wall to maybe starting that addition that you feel like you can do yourself. And in many cases, you can. Take nothing away from anybody who wants to do it. My hat's off to you. And I really recommend you give it a shot if you think you've got the physical ability and the wherewithal, the tools and the know-how to make this happen. Or you can bring those in to assist you. By all means, take the challenge. You'll enjoy it. You'll have a lot of fun. I've spent my career doing this. But I don't want you to find that you have started doing some things only to find that it's become a financial burden, that it's become an issue around the house, meaning you've started something that you've been forced to stop by your local code officials, or that you have run into some huge financial hurdles because you worked with a builder who wasn't licensed, a builder who didn't get the permit. So let's talk a little bit about some of these things. First, we know that home improvement projects, clearly for all of us, can enhance the way we live in our home, our lifestyle, just wanting to be at home and enjoy our new environment because we've upgraded. We finished out a basement. We've built an outdoor space to enjoy. doesn't matter what it is. We know it will make us feel better, and we can enjoy that property more. But these items can be extremely critical for each of you. Two very common mistakes that folks make. One is starting work without a building permit, and then if you're hiring a professional, whether it's an electrician or a plumber or a general contractor or a remodeler, failing to check and ask about their license. And it's real easy to do. In most states, most of our listing areas, you can go online to a website within your state and you can check that contractor's license. You could also go to your local building department or pick the phone up and call them and ask, is this company licensed? Is this individual licensed? And at what level? Because there are also different licenses for different scopes of work. There may be a class A, B, C, one, two, three. They're rated different in different states. So if you're looking to hire a contractor to do a $100,000 project and the person you want to work with may hold a license that only permits them to do a project not exceeding $25,000, you need to know those things. I don't want to see you burnt, start your project, put money out, only to see it never finished or to see it finished years later after some litigation. Ask these questions first. Let's go to some of the projects that are most commonly done around the home 
by homeowners, those things that you and I choose to do on a Saturday, on vacation time. How about installing a deck? In most parts of this country, not only do you need a permit to install a deck, but in many cases you will need to have it designed, signed, and sealed by a licensed architect or engineer, submitted to the code authorities, and to have it inspected as it's being built. So those are one of the, that's one big area that we see people get in trouble across the country. How about putting up storage sheds? It's just a place to put my lawnmower, some garden tools. It's going to be in the backyard. I'm going to pour a little slab, put up four walls. What's the big deal? It's within my fenced area. Folks, in most cases, you have at least a zoning ordinance to deal with, and that means setbacks from property lines. Secondly, you may be limited by size based on the zoning ordinance. You may be limited to 200 square feet, not to exceed 500, whatever. These are things you need to know. You don't want to put up a 1,000-square-foot shop or storage building and have the local authorities come back in a few months because, you, one, you didn't get a permit, you didn't check on zoning, and, two, it's too large, say, well, you can pay the permit fee, we're going to fine you and, and do these other things, but you're going to take half of it down. You don't want to be there. I've seen people be there. So decks, storage sheds, gazebos, carports, including these modular or portable carports that are aluminum frame systems that anchor into the ground, even those in many jurisdictions require permits and require zoning verification. Retaining walls are another one that we don't think about. We say, hey, I'm doing landscaping. I've got a slope in the backyard. I want to build a retaining wall. I want to have a horizontal planter area for maybe a small garden whatever you're doing, and so you start right away, you go down and you buy the block and you start putting up a retaining wall. In many jurisdictions, you can't put up a retaining wall, one, without a permit, two, without it being engineered. In some cases, if it exceeds three feet, it has to be engineered. So these are things that we rarely know about until after the fact, and it becomes a financial burden, becomes a liability. We find ourselves in court. We find ourselves dealing with local code officials or city or county that we live in, and we're being fined and told to take things down. I don't want to see you in that situation. So I want you to raise those questions before you start these products. Now, I want to go on with a few more things, and you'll find all this posted at my website, kenthecontractor.com. But when we think more about how we live in our homes today, we know we're moving more to the outdoors, whether it is patios or we're, we're putting in water features, we're putting in barbecue pits, cook stations, or swimming pools. These are also areas we're saying because it's outside, just like the retaining wall I talked about a moment ago, I don't need a permit. I can do it myself. It's not a big deal. And you may be right about part of it. But in most areas where people are listening to us today, you still need zoning approval and you still need a permit. So don't work your way around this. You're going to work yourself in a hole and you're going to find that you're in a great deal of trouble. Now, a lot of you saying, hey, that's great. You know, I'm a land uh, lord here and uh, I own the property and my tenants rent for me and because it's a rental property, it's not my primary residence, so I can go out and do these things. If they want a gazebo thrown up out here in common area, I can do that. Well, Mr. Landlord, let me tell you that that's not the case. Just because you own and you rent to others doesn't mean that the codes don't apply. You need to be checking on that when it comes time to do these things. In most cases, the fact that you are a landlord, there are even more stringent requirements on you than the individual homeowner because you are responsible for the safety of all of the people in your particular unit or complex if you have a series of apartments. And the last thing I want to mention, if you're hiring, you say, I'm, Ken, I'm not hiring a contractor. I've got some electrical work being done. I'm upgrading my electrical service. I'm adding some circuits and outlets for other purposes in here. Do I still need a permit? In most cases, yes. You're going to need to look at electrical, plumbing, mechanical, and I've touched on some of the specialty items. So be sure you're working with a licensed professional in those trades. 
and be sure they get the permits. There are also some places around the country I've worked where if you do work of any kind that exceeds $100 value on your home, you will get a permit. That means changing out a doorknob in some places on that outside entry door if you've got decorative hardware. So pay attention to these items. Stay out of trouble. and Whatever you do, save money as you move ahead. You know, I think in the old days when it wasn't so litigious, you would assume that you'd go ahead and do it first and then maybe ask forgiveness later. I think in this day and age, because everything is so litigious, Ask your questions first so you don't end up being sorry. Yeah, you just don't go down the wrong path. It really is simple to ask the question. I will assure you somebody's going to catch you if you're doing it wrong. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here to answer the questions that are important to, to you, today's homeowner. Reach Ken at 800-614-2975. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Phone lines are open. If you've got a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975, or you can email a question to Ken at eight at our website, KenTheContractor.com. We've got one of those email questions. We do. This comes to us from Tom in Odessa, Minnesota. And Tom, we appreciate you listening to us on KDIO 1350 AM. You have a problem, though. Let's see if we can discuss it and point you in the right direction. Said we have a one and a half story house that's 130 years old. Said we've never had mold on the upstairs walls till we put in vents in the three gables. Now some of the plaster has fallen down. What should we do to get rid of the mold, number one? And should we take the plaster off and put something else over it, like paneling? Said so there's at least a foot of insulation above the ceiling, and I assume from your email that you're talking about the flat ceiling, but not much on the slant part in the walls. Well, first off, ventilation and attic spaces are always very good. However, I think you're realizing in a home that's this old where there may be no insulation in these slanted walls, and for those of you who don't understand a story and a half, they're only going to have a portion in the upper part, that, that upper floor that has a level ceiling, and then the roof also becomes part of the ceiling as it slopes down on the sides. That's typically what this reference would indicate. And in a house this old, it's very difficult to get insulation in that area. Adding the, the vent certainly is always a positive. We talk about that, venting the attic space because it makes the roof materials, the shingles and all, last longer. It eliminates the some work on your air conditioning and your heating system by retaining heat and cooling on the inside. But I'm afraid that what has happened here is by introducing this outside air, now you've got condensation that's forming in these pockets along these walls or these sloped ceiling areas where it's not insulated. You're getting the moisture in, and now you have mold and mildew, and that is also breaking down this plaster. So in this case, you need to find a local insulating contractor that can access this, and they do have ways to get in these more concealed cavities I'll use that phrase loosely, and properly insulate those, whether it's with a spray-in foam, an expandable foam, not unlike what you'll buy in a can, but this is commercial used for large areas, or whether it happens to be to blow in a cellulose or to blow in a fiberglass insulation and remedy that problem. And the real solution is to address the problem and to do it correctly, Tom, not to cover it up by putting paneling or something else over it on the surface. So I really want you to do that. I want you to talk to a local insulation company and get you at least three bids, Look at the alternatives that you have. Resolve the issue so that you don't have condensation and you won't have this problem going forward. Send me an email back. Let me know how things work out for you. All right, let's go to the phones now at 800-614-2975. Joining us next is John. He's in Carlisle, Indiana, and listens to our program on WTRC 95.3 in South Bend, Indiana. Um, I, I recently purchased a home, and uh, a new air conditioner was installed. But we were told at the home inspection that the coil was previous to the installation of the new air conditioner 
and that they weren't exactly matched. And what I wanted to verify is whether it will harm uh, the air conditioners seem to be in working order when we had done tours of the house and apparently been installed that way. I didn't know if they needed to be updated before it did some damage or whether you wait for the coil to fail and then replace the coil. What are my options? Well, first off, it's not really uncommon to have one unit replaced over the other. Now, for those listening to us that may not quite follow what we're discussing, we're talking about a split system where the air handler portion, the interior coils are inside the house. In your case, if it's a heat pump, would have your auxiliary heat strips. There's a separate exterior unit that is considered the compressor, and sometimes the life cycle of those do not coincide. Typically, we get a little closer, but it would not be uncommon because of damage, lightning strike, power surge, in some cases just age, to have either one of those units go bad and be replaced. To directly answer your question, based on several decades of experience, and I have done the same thing myself in some of my own properties, you should have no issue at all running a newer outside compressor with an older inside air handler or the other way around. They are two distinct units. The outside compressor does a separate job from the inside unit. Those systems operate independently of each other. It is important, however, to be sure that the inside unit and the outside unit are compatible as far as tonnage and airflow goes. You certainly don't want to have an outside compressor that is a two and a half ton replaced with a four ton if the interior air handler does not match up. You may find the system freezing up. It may not move air fast enough. There are issues that can occur when they're not compatible in that sense, but in the sense of just Age, one unit is newer than the other. You should not have an issue. Okay. And I would imagine if they did an inspection annually, that that should address any issue early if there's a problem, right? It certainly should. Now, I recommend to everyone that you have your HVAC units checked and inspected at least once a year. Sometimes when you don't use the system, they may leak a little Freon. If you have a small oil leak in the compressor, it can become a bigger issue as oil leaks out and then you'll burn the compressor out. So paying a service company a few dollars to come check it for airflow, to check the uh, the suction and vacuum line, to be able to check the head pressure on the compressor is always something good to do. And then you know you're ready to go. So I think you're in good shape. I would not spend any money replacing a unit just because they are two different brands or two different ages. The fact that they've been in place and they're working during the inspection and you have no issue, one unit really is not going to cause any harm to the other unit. They work in harmony. Thank you very much. We thank you for the call, and we appreciate your listening. Thank you. Thank you, John. We're going to go from John in Indiana to Beverly in Tampa, and she has kind of a cautionary tale, Ken. Yeah, this is a lesson learned, and I talk about this from time to time, so I want to read this. She was good enough to send me an email. She said about a year ago, the bathtub in her house was reglazed by a non-professional. It was done with a tub refinishing kit, and it looked great, but it's now flaking off throughout the whole tub. said, I've called for several quotes on getting it professionally refinished, but because of the flaking, and the work that was done unprofessionally, it's now going to cost anywhere from 75 to to $100 extra to have the prep work done and to have it properly refinished. So said, so my advice to you, if you buy the kit to do it yourself or have someone else do it, make sure it's done correctly. Otherwise, in the long run, you may be better off to just go ahead and pay a little more now to have a professional do it rather than deal with it a second time around. I've heard you say this before, but I've experienced it now, and I just want to share this experience with others. Beverly, I really appreciate you echoing what we talk about from time to time. 
usually we get what we pay for. And that doesn't mean that we can't do things ourselves or have someone that's not a professional do it and do it right. But this is an area that you always want to be cautious about and look at how much you're really saving on the front side versus knowing that I've got a pro doing it, I've got a warranty behind it, I've got a company that's legitimate, and if I have an issue in a year or three years, they're going to come make me whole. Always worth considering. Beverly, thanks for the email. That's where I always, if you're going to err on one side of caution, I'm always, I guess, looking at the the glass half empty, and that is, if there's a problem, what do I do? A, I'm not sure because I don't have the experience or the knowledge that I'm going to pick it up, and then B, you're going to be back where you started in the first place. Well, and what she didn't talk about here was the fact that apparently someone was paid to do this a year or so ago, and they were not a professional at it, and now they're undoing it, paying more to undo it, and still paying a pro to come do it again. So that's double the loss and the aggravation. Yeah. That's why you, you don't go uh, see your dentist and buy pizzas. No, you probably want to keep those things separate. <laughs> exactly. Good idea. I know. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, and we're here each week at this time. So Ken can deal with the issues that are important to you, today's homeowner. Got a couple of different ways that you can reach Ken if you do have a question or comment. Uh, you can give us a call, and you can reach Ken anytime at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email him at our website, kenthecontractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here to help you deal with the issues that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or, if you need to, drop him an email to our website, kenthecontractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of In the News. As each week, Ken brings products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. This one comes to us this week from Consumer Reports. And I follow an awful lot of what they do, and I know the rest of you do as well, because they do a huge amount of research that benefits all of us in the home building industry and anywhere across the building industry. But I want to talk a little bit about appliances based on a report just published called Better Appliances, an analysis of performance, features, and price as efficiency has improved. They've taken a look at appliances over the last 20 years. This has been an extensive research study that's been undertaken. And because many of us would say, you know, the appliances don't work as well as they did when we were young or what we remember about our parents' appliances and so forth. That really isn't true, and they have absolutely proven that. Appliance costs have not only come down, but the energy efficiency has gone up, and the ability to give us more space or quicker service in dishwashers, washing machines, those have also increased as well because we are, after all, an instant gratification society. If we can't get it now and we can't get it for less money, we just don't want it. So they've proven that what the industry has done is to the benefit of all of us. And I'm going to touch on just a few of these briefly as a result of this. When they talk about refrigerators and their performance, some key items they've discovered. Temperature control has improved. Noise levels have dropped. Refrigerators have gotten much larger. And all of this has taken place while the energy consumption has actually declined. And between 1987 and 2010, real prices decreased by about 35%, and average energy use went down by more than 50% for refrigerators. So one reason I mention this, if you're operating a refrigerator that's 20 or 25 years old, and they'll last a long time, this tells you a little something about the bells and whistles that are available today. It also tells you that the cost of the equipment has gone down compared to what it was when it was originally purchased, and in real dollars, that is, and that the operating cost has also gone down. And then quickly, one more item, 
under uh, in the news here, washing machines, and they talk about performance. said there are many high-efficiency front-loading and top-loading models that we know will do an excellent job, and they've proven that through their research. They're also a little easier on clothes, which help them last a little longer, And because people have said that the older tend to work a little better. But automatic dispensers, touchpad controls, time delay options are just among some of the features that they say are so uh, identified with today's population that make these clothes dryers, washing machines, easier to use and operate. Also, when we talk price, between 87 and 2010, real prices decreased. Now, this is for washing machines by about 45%, while the average energy use decreased by 75%, folks. So, again, this touches briefly on some things that we're constantly talking about. That's why we bring you these in-the-news segments so that you'll understand that you've got something that works, but if it's on its last leg or you're thinking about upgrading, look at some of the tax credits that could still be available in your state or nationally for more energy-efficient appliances and see if you can't save yourself some operating cost on a weekly or monthly basis. Very good. We're going to the phone lines once again. It's James who's standing by. He joins us next. James, hi, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hey, my question is about references. Every time you guys, when you're going to have a project, uh, undertake a project in your home, always get references. Uh, these contractors, they're not going to give you a bad reference. I've even heard of them uh, having a, a friend of theirs, uh, you know, say, hey, we did this or that, and, and uh, you know, they're going to vouch for them, so... Well, anyway, the question is, how do you how do you trust or believe these references? I was going to say, well, let me give you some pointers because you you are correct to the extent that anybody can give you names and information of people that they know are going to give them just an outstanding review. And as a, as a professional, one who's done a great deal of building, when when I go into new marketplaces, for example, where I don't know people, I don't know a subcontractor, I don't know a supplier, I'm going to folks that aren't trying to sell me anything to get a reference. Uh, I may go to the uh, the Chamber of Commerce. I'm going to look at the Better Business Bureau. I'm always going to be checking with the building department because while they can't give you references, they can tell you if they're people that have had uh, X number of code violations, if they have problems getting their work passed, if they have to call them down or write them up on so many other items. Those are That's public information. So they can share that data with you, and, and I rely on that because they have no vested interest in me or what I'm about to do. Why would they not tell me the truth about an individual out there, whether they've got a, a record that's an inch thick with nothing but negatives or they've had nothing but positive things to say about them because they do their work by the book? Now, also, I will go, if I'm looking at a subcontractor or if I'm looking at something that a general contractor is involved in, I will go to vendors, to suppliers. If you're going to look for a concrete finisher, for example, um, he or she may give you this group of people that's going to do nothing but give them rave reviews when maybe they're kind of sketchy. I'm going to go to the concrete supplier and say, hey, I'm, I'm talking to, to ABC concrete finisher over here. What can you tell me about them? One, do they pay their bills? Have they paid their labor? What kind of quality do you see? Do you have issues with them? Because vendors are not going to recommend somebody to you that doesn't pay their bills, number one, also that makes their product look bad. So they're going to give them, they're going to give you an honest report. And after several decades of doing this, I have found that to be very reliable in tracking people down and really getting to the bottom line. Because you're right, anybody can print anything. I go much further with that when I'm investigating people. And that's what I'd recommend everybody do. So go beyond references then, and uh, uh, that's, a, that's a good answer. Then. Yeah, because All if right. you're dealing with a contractor in your community that's established, that's been there for any period of time, not their first job, they're going to have, 
Most people in the community, especially in our listening area, they're going to know that contractor, the lumber yards, the concrete suppliers, the wholesale houses for lighting and plumbing. Just go to them. Hey, do you know anything about XYZ Construction Company? What can you tell me? I'm thinking about using them. James, thank you. Those are some great points. Uh, let's quickly try to tuck an email in here from uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Patricia writes, she has something quite simple. It deals with the kitchen exhaust hood option. It says, we're remodeling the kitchen. We want to put the stove in a center island. We've got a vaulted ceiling. What options do we have for hoods? Well, you really have several, more than you might think of. One, there are kitchen hoods designed for exactly this environment that will come down from that high-vaulted ceiling. It's actually an architectural hood. It's not something that's concealed. It's designed to stand out and become part of your decor. But if you really want to see this ceiling, and I, I can't really picture everything you've got going on based on your email, but if you don't want to see anything, take away from this high-vaulted ceiling or open trusses. Also consider a downdraft unit. The same type unit or the unit would sit in that kitchen island, has a built-in exhaust fan. It's a downdraft. It may have a, may have a hood that actually comes up out of the unit. Some do. Others are actually built in as part of the surface unit. When you turn that fan on, it draws the, the cooking odors and the various things that normal hoods take out down through that unit, and it ducks it and vents it to the exterior. So you have an architectural hood that's designed to stand out and look great, hang down over that island. It could be 10 or 15 feet in, in height. You also have downdraft units that are available to you, and that's a built-in part of most of the ranges. So anyway, take a look at those. I think you'll find something, Patricia, that will make it work for you and protect everything you want to see in that newly designed kitchen. And I'll tell you, one of the big things of those islands, they've dramatically changed over the years now, the incredible amount of storage space that you have in those units and and the really impressive and creative ways that they move that storage space around. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Don't forget uh, that you can follow Ken. You can follow Ken on Facebook, and you'll find him at Ken the Contractor. And also, you can follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Do you have an email question? Send it to our website, KenTheContractor.com. We get one of those emails to us out of Indiana. We do. Linda writes to us from Elkhart, and uh, she has a cabinet issue. And it's quite lengthy, so I'm going to go through here and hit the high spots of this, Linda. You built your house about 20 years ago. You purchased some cherry-finished cabinets. You say these were on display with a contractor. They look great there, but they don't didn't look so great after they were installed, and you've been dealing with issues with the cabinets ever since in so many words, gouges, uh, improper finish on the cherry finish and so forth. And now you come to me with this question, said you'd like my opinion on what you can do to make the cabinets appear better Without spending a fortune on new cabinets, you're telling me that you're retired, and like most people, you're looking at the budget side of this. What kind of options do you have? Now, you do go on to make a statement that tells me you've thought through this already and you're on the right track. You say, we're wondering if our kitchen cabinets can be painted or can another finish be applied to those? And as far as the gouges on the doors and drawers, you're saying, can they be replaced? I'm telling you, I'm not sure you really need information from me, Linda, because you're on the right track. There are specialty companies uh, all over the country that will come in and refinish the face of your cabinets. They will replace the door and drawer fronts. You can also replace hardware, especially if you will check first and be sure that the the center on the screw holes in your hardware, assuming that it screws into the back of the cabinets or the drawers, that they are in the same position. And uh, there are a lot of standard sizes of hardware. So you can have a complete new cabinet look without ever replacing those, without taking them out of the kitchen, without disrupting your lifestyle for a fraction of the cost of putting new in. This really is ideal for people that are on any kind of a budget, which is most of us around this country. 
how do you take something that really works and is performing for you but just doesn't look so good and you want to make it look a little more modern or you just want to clean up that old look? So I would say do exactly what you're already thinking. Entertain at least three bids from specialty companies that reface cabinets in place. And then also those same companies can replace doors or drawers, get individual prices for them to do that, but have them break it down. Don't see it as a lump sum. And then you make a decision on which way to go. Good luck with your search here. And thanks for listening to us, Linda. All right. In green building this week, is this right? Solar powered HVAC central air solar powered? Absolutely. It is. That's what we want to talk about, but not necessarily that is this new. I brought this to you in 2011 when we talked about new solar systems that had just been put on the market. Linux produced the first one, and they're having reasonable success with this. But the reason I bring this up again is because I have been asked by more and more people, how can I reduce my cooling cost on air conditioning, especially by using solar power? Now, you can go the traditional routes, and that is you can add solar panels, you can add the various devices that have to tie into your breaker panel, and you can help reduce the cost of your cooling in that fashion. But I want to go back to the Linux product. Linux has produced a central HVAC system that directly integrates solar power with their air conditioning and heating. And you don't have to wait until you're building a new house. That's the reason I bring this up today when we talk about green building. This is one of the things we can do in our homes when it's time to replace a system, when it's reached the end of its life cycle and you're saying, I need a new air compressor and air handler. I need to replace my system. Not my ductwork, but the cooling and heating components here. I want you to consider, if you're into green building, consider the Linux unit that integrates the solar panel. It has all of the controls already as part of that, so you're not going back into your breaker panel. But the consumer purchase, I mean, when you purchase this, the the unit has the modular, everything in place to make it function. And it's automatic to the point these microinverters that are there will direct the solar panel's power that comes with this system to know where to send it when and to turn off the system in the event that you just don't need the additional power or you want to sell it back to the grid. So I think this is pretty unique. I've not seen a lot of followers in the sense of other companies jump on this bandwagon. It's going to cost you a little more money than the traditional unit, but it is something you can do in your existing home if you're into green building and reduce your energy costs. And lastly, I would mention that there are still some rebates available at the federal government letter, and you may find that there are all, are, are some tax credits, and there may be some rebates available from Linux at the time of purchase. You always want to ask the dealer about that. That's this week's green building segment. All right. Uh, and uh, Chuck's got a problem with his basement. Yeah, Chuck's also another uh, listener to us in, out of Elkhart, Indiana. We, we seem to have a great following in that part of the country, and I do appreciate it. Chuck says he has a basement leaking issue but only when he gets heavy rains out of in a certain direction. And, again, I've got a rather lengthy email, so what I'm going to do is touch on the high spots here. And he says, for description, he says he's got a gas fireplace. It's wood frame brick veneer that's built on the side of the house, and he's got a formed and poured solid concrete basement wall. And he says the wall leaks below this fireplace at about a midpoint, so it's not down at the footing level. Water's not coming up through the floor, he's telling me, but it's at some point at the mid-level of this wall. He's wondering if a waterproofing product I talked about recently, he says on the show, which I did called Rubber Wall, could be applied to the inside to stop the leaking, or are there other products that he could do? He also tells us in his email that he's not done any excavation along the exterior to see if there's an obvious problem there. Well, Chuck, you've got a, a rather involved explanation, which helps me 
in written form understand what your concerns are. And what I'd like you to do, first to tell you that the rubber wall product I talk about and similar waterproofing products are really designed to be used on the exterior of the home. There are inside products. I've not had great experiences with them, though. I'm not going to mention name brands. And that's just because of the hydrostatic pressure. Water coming through the exterior, it may, these waterproofing products may be a band-aid, but they're not a permanent solution to them in my experience. So what I, I'm thinking is happening here, the fact you're telling me you have a solid basement wall and you have a brick veneer chimney that projects off of that because it's a gas fireplace, which allows us to be wood, and you've got a flue going up off the gas fireplace. This is more of a cosmetic chimney, is that you probably have a leak where that chimney makes contact to that basement wall. Now, it's not uncommon in solid uh, concrete basement walls with a chimney in this fashion to have the contractor form and pour beams that are integrated in the wall that project out, and then your brickwork sits on those to create the veneer that goes around the wood framework as you build the house. What can happen at that point is this water you're saying is being driven up against this chimney and it's leaking at the midpoint is either getting into the brick area, getting between the brick and the framework and the vapor barrier, or it's actually just getting in around the base of the brick and it's working its way back around those beams. There's some crack or penetration there that's letting water come in at the midpoint, and that's why you're seeing it. So my recommendation to you is not look at interior waterproofing, but excavate or have someone, if you're not capable of doing this, excavate. You could do it with a shovel around that outside chimney. You're probably going to find the water problem near the base and then treat it properly with a waterproofing agent. Plug the hole, seal it with uh, with proper grout, whatever's necessary. But a Band-Aid is only going to move the water problem perhaps somewhere else or last short term. I'm always about addressing a problem on a permanent basis and resolve it first for you because you live in the home, but also for future homeowners. And also I'm trying to be sure that you don't have continuing issues that create bigger problems and cost you more dollars later on. That's my recommendation, Chuck, and I do appreciate you listening. You say you enjoy the show, and thanks for tuning in. Well, we've got a lot of different ways. If you do have a question, you want to send a question or a comment to Ken. We had uh, one in our program this week of an email from someone who shared an experience with us. That's how this program got started. Just got to give you a little bit of advice on whether you should do it yourself or whether you should look for some professional at help. That'll wrap up this hour's edition of Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home, you can always reach Ken. You can reach him at 800-614-2975 or online at kenthecontractor.com. For Ken Patterson, I'm Jim Britt. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.